This is DZFE's Maestro Filipino, a focus for music with a connection to home. For this edition, I'm Daniel. We first met composer Joshua Sardegna in 2017, when he was still based in New York. It has been six years, over the course of which, among other things, a short visit home turned into a long-term stay, thanks to a certain pandemic. No one goes through that that kind of experience without any sort of change. It was change that Sardegna was looking for shortly before the pandemic, that he certainly found, and that we talked about when he dropped by our studio not too long ago. On today's program, he also shares his insight on musical innovation, identity as an immigrant who has made a home of a foreign country, and, of course, some of his works. To set the stage, here is Sardegna's Exile Slash Home, performed by baritone Henry Chen, violinist Francisco Baradas, cellist Judy Liu, and pianist Rich Coburn.
perchance here is the same as the one in my former world. For what would I go back? For what would I go The last time you were here was 2017. What were you doing from 2017 to the pandemic? 2017, it was a very different time. Yeah. I think I was not even a year out of grad yes. school at that point. So I was very wide-eyed and kind of fresh, not, not very exposed yet to the realities of life as a musician once you're out of school and once you're not no longer attached to an institution that kind of keeps you safe. And by then I was, you know, working on things, opportunities that I got directly through being in school at Juilliard in New York. I think at that time, 2017, I was working on, I was working on a commission for the Detroit Symphony. Um, uh, that was uh, Feuertrunken. Yes, that was Feuertrunken. It's the 10-minute concert opener for the Detroit Symphony. Last time I was here, I was either working on that or had just finished it. I don't remember now, but that was kind of the headspace I was in. You know, For me, I, I really wanted to write these big orchestra pieces, yeah. these big statements. Feuertrunken is a concert opener. It's a very loud piece, <laughs> very exciting, mm. meant to get the audience excited for the evening. Mm. Since then, as the years went by, I kind of experienced, again, the, the, the realities of being a musician that's no mm. longer attached to an institution. And it's challenging, to say the least. You have to figure out a lot of things on your own. Also, you realize how much freedom you also have. Which can um, be a frightening thing. Which can be a frightening thing, yeah. But for me, I don't think it was uh, frightening. But, for example, I kind of cultivated interest in other areas of music, mm. like musical theater. I did that. I, I still do it now. But mm. kind of around 2018, I joined a musical theater workshop in New York, the BMI Lehman Engel workshop, which was, for me, a whole different universe as a composer. Mm. I mean, when I was uh, still here in Manila and I was studying in Ateneo, I did musical theater. That was kind of like an interest that was in the back burner. So... Once I was no longer in school doing a master's degree and kind of like felt the pressure of, oh, you have to write serious music. I no longer felt that pressure. So it's kind of, <laughs> maybe I'll try some theater, maybe yeah. <laughs> see where that goes. And uh, that was a whole different universe because I had never written theater. I only played in productions as a pianist. Didn't have much of a desire to write it for a long time. But suddenly I was, you know, like writing songs, working with lyricists. And it was very different because you're writing shorter songs. The feedback loop from writing it to hearing someone sing it is much shorter. As a composer, there were a lot of lessons in that. Just being able to trust your instincts, being able to write things quickly, mm, being right, able to right. change things quickly, being able to find out what works, what doesn't, not being attached to what you wrote at first, being willing to change <laughs> them. Because you just get a lot more feedback yeah, as yeah. opposed to when you're writing big orchestral pieces where you don't get any feedback until you've finished it. And usually by the time you want to change something, it's too late. So did that sort of dominate your trajectory as a professional composer at the time? Yeah, that was kind of the, the headspace I was in for mm. at least a few years before I moved back to Manila. That was my main musical activity. Well, for one thing, it demanded a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> and I just went all in on it. I found it very difficult to divide my attention between theater work and like, more serious um, mm. pieces, I guess. I think you also performed with a Latino artist. Yes, yes, yes Canales. Yes. Uh, I actually met her through working with her on her nonprofit called the Canales Project. The whole idea is music for positive social change. Mm -hmm. So uh, music for a cause. So what that meant was, well, we did a lot of things, but a lot of it turned out being commissioning 
new works. So that gave us a repertoire to work with. So during that period when I was doing theater, my interest kind of like also bled over into right. forming. Uh, so these are not these completely separate paths. Yeah, they're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Were you pretty set on the music theater trajectory right before the pandemic? I don't know if I ever thought of myself as being set on it in terms of, oh, this is what I'm going to do from mm. now on. This is all I'm going to do from now. I'm just going to focus on this and this is going to be my thing. But it was certainly where I was having the most momentum just before the pandemic hit. Right before the yeah. pandemic hit. And of course, right before the pandemic hit, mm -hmm. you came home here. Mm -hmm. uh, what brought you back? It's hard to remember now what exactly it was, but it was kind of like to get a different perspective a little bit. I, I think I was like feeling tired of New York and like of the possibilities for me there. At that point, I had been there for just a little over five years and my work visa was set to expire in <laughs> half a year. That's just the thing when you, you know, when you, when you live in the States as a family, you kind of segment your life into three-year period <laughs> your visa. Yeah. So for me, I was coming to the end of one uh -huh. such period where I have a choice before me, like, do I do another three years of this in the U.S. or do I want to explore something else? And I didn't have an answer yet at that point, yeah. but I just, I just came home to kind of think about it for a bit, maybe stay here for a month or so. And you've and been thinking about it for how long? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now we're here. Um, no, I think that's very fascinating because you came here uh, blank slate, as it were. Yep. And the pandemic sort of filled that in for you or maybe left it blank for you. <laughs> pandemic left it blank for me. It was a very challenging time, not just for me, but pretty much every musician I knew. Yeah, definitely. Who kind of had to reorganize their lives, in many cases, figure out something else to do, mm -hmm. uh, at least in the meantime, you know, while the music world kind of shut down. But in turn, a lot of things went online. But so, you did not, I think. I didn't uh, exactly, but that's just because I'm mainly a composer, you know. As an accompanist, it's harder to do things online when you kind of have to collaborate <laughs> with other people. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can, but for me, I kind of didn't have that interest. So for me, like, the performing just kind of like went away completely. Mm -hmm. The composing was still there. Before we go further down that sure. road, you found something else to do, which is software development? Yes, yes. So I got a job as a software developer. <laughs> mm -hmm. Is that something you've been doing before? Not really. It was something I kind of dabbled in since I was I was little, yeah, coding, um, but not in any real way. Until you had to. <laughs> until I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Until I was like, you know what, what are some other things I can do? Uh, now I'm in the Philippines, I'm in my home country, I kind of have the freedom to do whatever I want. In the U.S. I couldn't do that. So that was one of the great things about coming home. Was yeah. that, again, the, the shift in perspective was so huge. Now, I have no restrictions as to what I can do for work. Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, I mean, there are restrictions in other ways. Like, you know, like the music scene here is smaller, for example. It's harder to, to go from point A to point B in Metro Manila. But again, the shift in perspective was really huge. So yeah, I went and got a job as a software developer, which it turns out is, uh, I always say this to people, it fires all the same <laughs> neurons in the brain, I guess, as composing <laughs> does. It's uh, so similar. I mean, really? it's not, but it's so similar. How so? At the end of the day, it's it's creating something, right? Mm, and you have to make sure it's coherent and all that. You have to make sure it's coherent, and you have to pay attention to the material you're using. Like in programming, for example, you want to repeat yourself as little as possible, right? Meaning you're working with a very small set of materials and making the most of them. Same mm. as in composing. Uh, for me, anyway. That's yeah, yeah. no, no, I uh, totally get you it. You want to keep it like uh, your materials very limited, but make the most of them. You say that there's been a great change in perspective. Mm -hmm. 
Can you describe what that is uh, and how have you been moving on that change in perspective musically? Simply put, it gave me a much larger appreciation for what we do as musicians and mm-hmm. kind of not reducing any of it to just your work or your occupation or how much money you make off of it. Mm-hmm. That for me has been uh, maybe the biggest shift. Like I said, music, writing code, fires all the same, neurons mm-hmm. in the brain, whatever. Feels the same way a lot of the time. The only real difference, I think, is what it's for. Software, at the end of the day, it's a business. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't serve the user, then it's useless. But <laughs> writing music, there's more of an inner purpose to it. We composers, you know, sometimes we like to say, oh, we want to connect with people, we want to uh, Give them communicate. Give a message to communicate. Which, which a big part of it is that, yeah. But I think at the end of the day, you're also expressing something of yourself that's very yeah. personal. Mm-hmm. And it can't just be, oh, I'm just giving people what they want to hear. It mm-hmm. can't be that, right? Yeah. It, it can't be just that.
Joshua Sardegna's Agao Dilim, recorded by bass baritone Enrico Lagasca and pianist Victor Asuncion. In the next part of our interview, Sardegna talks about his music and what lies in the future. The pandemic hasn't stopped you from writing music. Mm -hmm. We'll get into some of the music that you sent us. I think one that is firmly placed in that context is Exile Home. Mm. So tell us a little bit about that piece. This was part of a larger project of a, I guess, a, a music theater song cycle, I guess, of uh, songs by different composers. It's not just me. But it's all composers who are immigrants or children of immigrants or otherwise spending time in a country that's foreign to them. So I became attached to this project when I was in New York, starting in 2019, I think. And I wrote a piece for them that was just kind of about my life in New York as a composer. And then uh, when I had already moved to Manila, they uh, approached me again and said they were going to do the whole show again mm. online during the pandemic. They were going to do an online version. But for me, since I was here, I, like, I was no longer an immigrant. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so it, it kind of like felt like the piece that I had written for them no longer like, felt true to me. So I wrote them a new piece. And this was the product. It's called Exile Slash Home. Slash Exile Home, home mm. uh, which is how I say it in my head. But there's a slash. It's a music theater piece. So I kind of just conceived of this character who's kind of like neither here nor there who's kind of like dislocated from the place where he wants to be. But it's kind of in a place where he, he's also, you know, the text is my own, though I don't speak to my abilities as a writer. But it's so specific that I felt like it had to be my own words. It talks about dislocation. Yeah. Like you look at the moon, it's the same moon, same side of the moon, wherever you are in the world. Yeah. It's the same constellations, yet you're in different places, right? Mm -hmm. So that, that's just kind of what the text is talking about. That's interesting because, as you said, you were no longer an immigrant. You were mm. back home. Yeah. But I imagine, in a way, you were also wrenched from your home in New yes, York, yeah. which might, might have become home mm -hmm. uh, somehow. So you, you still felt dislocated. You still felt out of context, as it were. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Out of context is a, is a good <laughs> phrase. Yeah. It's a character that I kind of created. It's not exactly me, although it's, it's mm. very much informed by my own feelings at the time, of course. There's another one with text, this time by the poet Huseng Batute, Huseng Batute, Agao Dilim. So tell us about that work. Twilight in English. Yeah. Um, just a straightforward setting of this lovely poem, which talks about basically a, a lover pining for a missing beloved. Basically, the text talks about, oh, the sun sets and, oh, the day goes by and yet, you know, the birds are still here. All these other things are still here, but you're not, and I don't know how to find you. Something like that. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the spirit of it. For me, it's just such a lovely text and, again, just a straightforward setting in the kind of a style that I was exploring at the time, which kind of is influenced very much by musical theater also. Oh, I see. Um, but I guess like a more sensitive kind of musical theater, you know, like like uh, one of my favorite musical theater composers is uh, Jason Robert Brown. That very much is straight out of his playbook. Yeah, I was going to um, ask about the style because text yeah. like that, Filipinos often associated with Kundiman. Right. And apparently you're not exactly tied. Not exactly tied to the Kundiman form. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, it just feels very much like a product of its time that it, it's very difficult to translate it into the, the modern day, I guess, for me anyway. Mm -hmm. Canario is an interesting piece. Canario, of course, is the name of a dance. Mm -hmm. I think it sort of kind of you know, breaks down, as it were, the way Ives mm -hmm. deals with hymns. Is that correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, again, seeing what you can do with the very simple source material that you start with and seeing the various ways you can twist it and 
play around with it and make fireworks out of it as well. <laughs> but you did mention the last time you were here that you liked Irish music, so that was the thing that came to mind. Oh, it uh, came to mind without me telling you. It reminded That's me of awesome. Irish yeah, music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much. It's based on a Spanish dance, a Spanish melody that I've... Not exactly Spanish, but Canary Islands. Yeah. Where the name comes from. Canarios. <laughs> yeah, from, from the Renaissance. Simple tune. You know, what can I do with a simple tune like this and transform mm. it into a, a concert showpiece for the violin? So again, that was the impetus. I tried to do something like Renaissance, Spanish, maybe mm. something with a Spanish flavor. But as I wrote it, it ended up just being, well, not necessarily a bad thing, but it ended up being very difficult not to kind of express my love for, as you mentioned, Irish music, uh, <laughs> Americana also, like bluegrass. So the piece very much expresses my love for that type of music. And also it's meant to be like a showpiece for violin. Now you've been to the US, you've come back. And here we, I want to ask you about musical identity. You did say that Filipino music doesn't have to be constrained to Filipino idiom, Filipino instruments. Has becoming an immigrant and then coming back changed any of that? Has it added anything to your concept of what it means to be a Filipino musician? The way I think about it basically hasn't changed much, except mm -hmm. now maybe now I think that things are still too early to say. Because the reason I say that it doesn't have to be constrained by Filipino idioms or, mm -hmm. or all of these things is because as a Filipino nation, we haven't really had the time yet to develop like a, a really distinct idiom, right? Or like a real lasting one that you can say has time behind it. Maybe I'm mistaken, mm -hmm. but that's why it feels to me. That's why I don't necessarily feel constrained by it. Your plans for the near future aren't particularly set yet, but... Not particularly set yet. It depends on where I end up in terms of location. But that's just the adventure of life, right? I tend not to really make any grand plans. Saves you from disappointment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but also I learned it the hard way. <laughs> so, yes, you're exactly right. So, um, in the very least, what are you hoping yeah. to accomplish while you're here? Yeah, well, right now I have a musical that's in progress. It's called Hay Fever. It's an adaptation of a play by Noel Coward. It's a comedy, basically set in the 1920s, this very eccentric family who lives in the countryside. Each one of the members of the family, without each other's knowledge or consent, invites a guest over for the weekend. So now the whole family has four guests for the weekend, and then you know, hilarity mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, this one is in the works. We had an online reading over the pandemic. There's going to be uh, a first in-person reading at the New York Public Library at Lincoln Center in New York this summer in June. So that's kind of like the, the main thing I'm looking forward to right now. Mm -hmm. And of course, refining it because um, musical theater just takes so much work. <laughs> I went into it very naively, you know. Again, again, I mentioned the feedback loop between writing and hearing a song sung is shorter, but that's only in terms of individual songs. Yes. But when you're writing a, a musical, that's a much larger work. You yeah. have to be prepared to endlessly revise and edit, and mm. you know, it, it just never ends. I've been working on this show since 2019. Just a few years, that's nothing, you know, compared to a time that a complete musical usually takes to incubate, which is in the you know, five, six, seven years. That's still very much where everything I'm working on is concentrated. I'm working on orchestra piece to submit to the Takemitsu competition. I love writing for the orchestra, yeah. for one thing. It's just my great musical love, maybe my, my number one musical love, just the orchestra. But the real reason is they have an age limit, and I'm going to pass it soon. <laughs> and I think if I don't do it, I'll just regret it forever. I'm working on a piece that's very much informed by, to the extent that I can do it with grace and respect, very much informed by kulintang gestures. It's Not interesting that you go that direction. Yeah. Well, I played kulintang in Singapore. I studied a bit of gamelan in Bali, 
But the way we also played the music was we very much had a love for innovating where we can and seeing mm. where we go with things. So for example, we would have like solos like into jazz solos. That's right, kind of right, right. And we just had a lot of fun with it. That's kind of like what informs this piece that I'm working on right now. Mm -hmm. I think it also ties in seamlessly with the rest of your context right now, uh, because you did say that r right after you graduated, you felt the need to make yourself known to create a distinct voice yes, for yourself. Yeah. But now you've relaxed much more. You're much more open to taking things as they are. Yeah, yeah. That's an important lesson that you've come to learn. And this whole business of being a musician, you have to think of it as a very long arc where you can't really plan everything. Yeah. But you have to think of it in terms of decades rather yeah. than, oh, what am I going to do? Like, like. So that way you give yourself a lot of room to explore all these different directions that catch your attention. And, and for me, that's where the real fun of it is. Yeah, and I think that sort of exploration is going to be part of your upcoming orchestral piece. You did mention innovation during your Kolintang classes, but not you know, for the sake of breaking new ground, right. but simply because there is stuff to explore yeah, <laughs> for yeah, the yeah. fun of it. And, all, yeah, and also not innovation in terms of, like, I think that word has so much baggage since oh, the 19th huh? century, right? Which I don't really want to go into. But just trying, it's just exploring, playing with things. Um, yeah finding unusual juxtapositions, unusual combinations that, that you know, kind of haven't been done before or are not in the radar of most of the people that I would consider are listeners of my music or of music like this. So I definitely don't think we've exhausted all the possibilities for new music, but we may have to just think of it a little differently, where it's no longer about systems or ways you arrange pitches or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, but it can be something else where you tie in all of this uh, music to like bigger contexts that are outside of music. Like for me, example, as a Filipino, like my own culture that I may be connected or disconnected from at times. So there's just all of that. And, and again, it just becomes this very personal thing where you're sharing something of yourself. It's personal, but you also want it to be a work of art that other people can tap into. Thank you. 
That was Joshua Sardegna's Canario, brought to us by violinist Jocelyn Jew and pianist Dror Baitel. Earlier, we heard two of his other works, Exile Slash Home, performed by baritone Henry Chen, violinist Francisco Baradas, cellist Judy Liu, and pianist Rich Coburn, and Agao Dilim, performed by bass baritone Enrico Lagasca and pianist Victor Asuncion. You can find more information about Cerdeña on his website, cerdeña.com, and more of his music at soundcloud.com slash Joshua Cerdeña. That is all for this Maestro Filipino, DZFE's weekly feature for fine music in our locale. Each episode airs Saturday at 12 noon, the following Sunday, 12 midnight, and lastly, the next Thursday at 8 in the evening. Maestro Filipino episodes are uploaded every week on our SoundCloud and Spotify channels. Once more, this is Daniel, and thank you for listening.